Glad you are here. Glad you're here online. It was October 7th, 1916. Cumberland College had a football team, and they were prepared to play Georgia Tech. They were prepared as best as they could. They were hyping each other up before the game. They were saying, we're going to take down this team with the almighty power that we have been practicing in our special plays. The end, of the, the end of the game, the score was 222 to zero. Georgia Tech beat Cumberland. It was the lo- most lopsided football game in the history of college football. And it proved that Cumberland was no way ready to prepare the battle that they were ready to face Georgia Tech and what they had for them. We're in a series called Armor Up, Finding Strength in Uncertainty. And I can promise you that we have a tendency to get beat as bad as Cumberland if we are not prepared for the spiritual battles that are waging currently and they're waging all around us. As we talked about last week, the root of our battles are all spiritual. The root of all of our battles are spiritual. And if you want some more explanation of what that means, you have to go back to last week, but you need to get to the root. So it's not people we're fighting. It's not my spouse and not my kids and not my boss. There is something behind all of that. And you got to get to the root and to the root of the root. And you go down deeper and you'll find that there is a spiritual thing at work, both internally as well as externally. In fact, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. See, our strength, our strength in any spiritual battle can't be on ourselves. It has to come from the Lord. It's got to come from the Lord. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. See, this guy by the name of David, he looked after sheep, and he was visiting his brothers who are on the battlefield, who were about ready to face the great Philistine army. But instead of a normal war that would take place oftentimes in that day, they would oftentimes send out their greatest warrior and say, you know what, let's just make this a lot easier and let's go mano a mano. Let's put our greatest warrior against yours. So they put out Goliath. Goliath came out, just think of Shaq on steroids. The man was a man amongst men and he would call out insults and he would call down swear words and curse words to the God of Israel, and he would ask anybody to fight. Day after day after day, David visits his brothers, brings them a sandwich, and says, why isn't anybody standing up to this guy? And, and so he says, I'm going to go do it. So he goes to King Saul, who should have been the rightful person to face Goliath, by the way. And he goes to King Saul, and Saul says, all right, I'm going to let you fight Goliath, but you're going to need some armor. So we need to armor you up. So he gives him his armor. So Saul, his armor is now on David, and David's like, this just doesn't work. It's not me. So David goes to a nearby stream, grabs five little stones, he's got a sling, and he goes walking out towards Goliath. Goliath begins to taunt him, calls him a dog, says, what in the world is going on? And they start talking trash, you know, to one another. In fact, uh, David said this as he was facing Goliath. You come at me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I, David, will kill you. I'm going to cut off your head. And then I will give the dead body and all the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals of the whole world, and they will know that there is a God in Israel. Don't see that on the flannel graph in kids' ministry, do you? <laughs> so we got to go a little back a little ways. What's a flannel graph? Well, look it up. You can you Google it. You know, you actually see what that is. And, and you know, you, you see, that was the real situation. David understood something that you and I often forget. When we fight on our own strength or we fight based on perception or what the world thinks that we need in order to win a battle, in the long run, sometimes in the short run, we lose. But if we fight with God's strength, we'll win every single time. See, it's not the amount of strength that we have, but only the source of where that strength comes from. Uh, for example, uh, you know, try you know, using a light without being plugged into a socket. Not much good lighting up a dark room. But when you actually plug it in, where the source of its strength for, it comes from, all of a sudden that light has power that it never had before. You see, God is our refuge, and God is our strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. So let me say it as simply as I can. You got to know Jesus in order to know strength. If you don't know Jesus, you won't know strength. That's what he's trying to say. See, our part of the battle is actually putting on the armor of God, which allows us to stand firm. That's what he says there. In Ephesians 6, 11, it says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Now, you need to understand that the Greek word translated put on carries with this idea of permanence. You're not supposed to put on and take off. You're actually supposed to put on on a regular basis to keep on. In fact, when used in a military sense, the word translated stand firm refers to holding a critical position while under attack. So this is to hold that position while putting on this armor. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, please, please hear me for a second. Could it be that maybe some of the battles that you're facing, relationally, work, financially, your future, addictions, whatever battles that you're facing right now, could it be that there might be another path, an opportunity to gain strength that you don't possess in order to win the battles that are in and all around you. In fact, that would be a reminder for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ today. So let's back up a little, just a little bit. Uh, the guy who wrote this book in Ephesus, this, to this church in Ephesus called Ephesians is named Paul. And he's likely writing while being chained to a Roman soldier at the time. And this would be like a picture of what that soldier may have looked like. And it provides us an easy illustration, which is why he's writing about the way that God equips us to battle against the enemy. The order is important for a soldier at war, and it's, an, it's important for us to as followers of Jesus Christ. So this is what he writes, and we're going to spend the rest of our time today walking through. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of righteousness. See, the belt and breastplate, breastplate would have provided the proper protection for the soldier. So Paul is telling us 
that the proper protection is actually allows us and gives us the strength to withstand any attack. Let me be clear. For those who are followers of Jesus Christ, the protection that is found through the belt and through the breastplate is truth and righteousness. Truth and righteousness. So if you want protection, my question is, do you know truth and are you practicing righteousness? So let's start with the first part. The belt of truth is our foundation for our spiritual armor. The belt was the very first thing that a soldier would put on before getting ready to go to war. They would always have this tunic that would go from the chest all the way down to the uh, uh, knees, sometimes to the ankles, and they would have to put a belt on, which would allow them to move a lot more freely, and if you don't have a belt, you're not able to carry a sword, which is what we'll be talking about in a few weeks. So when you're putting on the belt of truth, You've got to be aware and know that that truth is God's truth. That's what he's talking about. Before the battle, before we go into battle, we need to know the truth of God. Now, you and I know this. Truth in our culture is relative. It's relative. In fact, the Bible is not surprised by this. When we read in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, this is what was taking place thousands of years ago. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. The myths almost become true. See, Satan's strategy has always been not just to tell blatant lies, but to take the truth and to conform it to what you may want to hear so that it sounds like truth. It's as old as the beginning of creation. You might remember when the serpent kind of tempted Eve. What was it that the serpent, what was it that Satan said? Did God really say that you must not eat fruit from any of the trees in the garden? No, that's not what God said. But he's just taking a little bit and beginning to engage in a conversation with Eve, just slightly twisting what God actually had to say. Now, here's what uh, you probably know to be true. Most kids, especially little ones, will believe almost anything you tell them, right? Kind of the younger they are, the the more apt they're willing to believe. Like, for example, I got in a four-wheeler accident a number of years ago, and it left a gnarly scar on the back of my hamstring. And the scar, though, is kind of this U-shaped, okay? It kind of looks like that, you know, on the back of my hamstring. It almost looks like a bite of some sort. So oftentimes, when I will go swimming, and I will come out of our lake or Coeur Lane Lake, I will see kids, as I walk by them, they'll kind of, kind of look, and they'll kind of look like that. And I, say, and, I, and, I, and I kind of hold on to it, and I kind of, kind of press on, I kind of start walking like this, and I say, hey, kids... Be careful about going into that fresh water. There are some major sharks out there. Because it looks like, I, he said, don't believe me? Look at my shark bite. And the kids are like, what? Really? I just walk away and let the parents deal with it. I mean, it's actually kind of fun. It's kind of fun for me <laughs> to watch them go, what? I'm not going to that water, mama. There's sharks in the Coeur Lane Lake. There isn't, but it's pretty fun for me. Uh, see, here's what happens, you know, if, we know the truth, okay? If we know the truth, we, we are growing up. In Ephesians 4.14, it says, then we will no longer be immature like children. 
We won't be tossed and blown about every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced and people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So here's my question when it comes to the belt of truth tonight. Where do you get your truth from? Where do you get your truth from? Uh, Here's another way to ask that question. Uh, Who or what has the final authority or say in your life on any subject matter? In other words, when it comes to decisions like parenting, how do I navigate relationships? How do I work? What do I believe about sex, marriage, or sexuality? Or what has the final say in, in, in the decisions or processing when it comes to my finances or resources, the answer to that question on where you go primarily for guidance will actually give you an indication of where you go to receive truth. And here's what I have found to be true, not only in my life over the years, but it, it just dominates in our culture. And there's four different ways that I see our culture getting their truth from. So here's my first question. When it comes to truth, do you get truth primarily from your feelings? Is it your feelings? You know, in other words, if I feel this way about someone or something, then because I feel that way, it absolutely has to be true. Do you have any idea how destructive that that is in life? In other words, one day I can feel in love with someone, even get married to that someone. And if I'm driven by truth, then not but a year or two later, I don't feel that anymore. And so now I must divorce that person. Now I must leave that person because my feelings are driving my truth. Uh, If I feel on more of a destructive end that I don't love myself. So I'm like, man, I don't don't like me. I don't like me at all. I, I, I feel down or depressed about me. And since I'm guided by that truth, I might find myself then beginning to self harm in many different ways. Why? Because I'm living by the truth of how I feel, and how I feel is guiding my decisions. Does that make sense? Is that you? Or maybe it's your experiences. This one I find probably more than anywhere else. In the final assessment, do I simply do what I've experienced to be right and wrong? Now, is it bad to have feelings? No. Is it bad to have experiences? Absolutely not. But for example, you hear this all the time. If my heart gets broken, then my truth can lead it to say that all men are jerks. It's not true, but my experience has told me it's true. Or if my uh, parents, you know, one parent or spouse walks out on the other, then my truth could be no marriages last. You see how that works? Based on how I experience life, How I go through life is the lens in which I view things to be true or not to be true, which is kind of what we talked about when we looked at the separation of church and, hey, can we understand a different side or a different perspective? We see this all the time. Uh, The third is this. Is your truth a person? It is a person or persons. In other words, do you just simply do whatever your boss or friend or spouse tells you that they think is right for you in your life? In other words, we run to them and we say, hey, what do you think I should do about this situation? What should I do about this scenario? What should I do about this situation that I'm walking through? And whatever they say, you're like, you know what? That sounds 
pretty good, and so I'm going to follow it. Now, again, in and of itself, it may not seem that bad, but how do you know they're giving you the truth if that's the final authority and say in your life? Or lastly, is it my culture? Is it my culture that determines what is true? Do I simply do whatever our world seems to say is true and what works according to what they think? So you might go to a college class, those of you guys who are you know, in high school, you're going to be in college very soon, you're going to go through philosophy classes, and the philosophy teacher is going to say some things that's going to sound really good and really right, and some science teachers and chemistry teachers, and you're like, wow, well, if they say it, and they say it with so much greater education, and they say it in such a persuasive way, then it must be true. Because that's what my culture says. Or I have friends who think that, and that's what my culture say. Or even recently, I have literally talked to people, and maybe you're one of these people watching online, that all you are doing is listening and watching the news for hours during the day. And so you're basing your truth on whatever news is coming your way. Do you know how awful that can be and destructive? Now, in and, of these, uh, in and of themselves, nothing's wrong with my, my culture, per se, the people in my life, my experience, or even my feelings, but God's truth has to be the foundation if you and I really want us to be set free from Satan's lies and Satan's tyranny over our lives. You have to go to a foundation that's greater than all four of those previous things. In fact, John 8, 32 says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, allow me to be super clear. The belt of truth is Jesus himself. It's Christ himself. John 14, 6, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus didn't say, I'm the way and tell you truth. He says, I am the personification of truth. You want to know truth? Know me personally, Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. He also says in different places that the belt of truth is God's word. So it's not only the personification of Jesus, it's actually the word of God as well that is true. John 17, 17, Jesus says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. So if I were simply were to say it this way, that every day we would wake up and recognize how important it is for us to know Jesus, then you will know truth. If you don't know Jesus, you will not know the truth. And you'll be dictated by one of the other things that we talked about. So put on the belt means daily connecting to Jesus and Jesus through his word. So where do you do that? Do you have a regular time with God every single day? Do you have time to go into his word and allow his word, which is timeless and truthful and for all generations and all cultures of the world, and allow it to speak into you on a regular basis? But don't just read the words on the page. Connect to the person of Jesus through prayer and understand we can't do this alone. In other words, to fasten on the belt of truth is to give Jesus and his word the final say in my life. So when you're facing a decision... When you're wondering something and you're like, you know what? I wonder what the Bible has to say about. Seek that out and follow it and you'll be putting on the belt of truth. 
But before you, if you're not ready and you don't know the word of God and you're not armed with that, then you don't have the belt of truth around you so that when the attacks come, you're going to be grasping, trying to figure out, I don't know how to respond in this situation. And again, we're just trying to help all of us to be reminded for the first time to armor up. So secondly, no Roman soldier would ever go to battle without the breastplate. No way. This is a tough sleeveless piece of armor that covered everything from head, you know, and uh, besides their head and limbs. It was often made of leather or heavy linen to which was sewn overlapping pieces of metal that was either molded or hammered to conform to the body. Now, it's obvious that the primary purpose of this piece of armor is to protect someone's heart, their lungs, intestines, and other vital organs. What Paul is saying here is that the breastplate of righteousness protects our spiritual organs. The reason this is important is because in Jewish thinking, the heart actually represented the soul and the will of a person. In fact, even the mind. And the bowels were considered the seat of emotions and feelings. So think about, you know, hey, I, I got a feeling in my gut would be kind of a more of a modern American translation for that. And that's where the feelings and emotions would come from. Understand the mind and emotions are the two areas where Satan will most fiercely attack people. The protection for our emotions and our minds comes from righteousness. That's what he's saying there. Now, righteousness means a right standing before God. It doesn't mean that you can make yourself right before God by anything you can do or say. This is only what God can do for you to give you right standing with him when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. No good thing can make you do that. Here's exactly what it looks like. In Romans 3.21, it says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. See, we're right standing with God. Without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Uh, Theology, which means the study of God, there's a term for this. It's actually called imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness, which means that we have a right standing with God when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior. It's what God gives to us when we accept Jesus. He's the one that puts this on us because of what he's done for us. He gives us this right standing. Now, practically, you and I will still sin, but as believers, we are still right with God even in our sin, not because of who we are, what we've done, because of what Christ has done for us. That's the great news. Now, here's what I can promise you, though. Satan is going to remind you and point out how unworthy you are all the time. He's going to remind you how many times that you fail, how you're not worthy to go to church because you have doubts, 
because you don't believe as much as somebody else or because you thought about doing that awful thing or you actually did that awful thing. And he says, no, 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 you, you don't deserve to have a place before God because you aren't good enough. And my hope is that you are reminded as you put on the breastplate of righteousness that you are good enough, not by anything that you have done, by what he has done for us covers all of those things. That you stand right before him, confident in who Jesus is in you and what he has done for you. Now this passage says that we're supposed to put on Put on. What does that mean? Because Jesus puts that on for us. So what does that mean, my part in putting on? Well, it would be what's called practical righteousness. Practical righteousness is a daily commitment to live in obedience to God's word. That's our part in the process. Our righteous acts don't save us, but it sure can help us protect us from the attacks of the enemy. Uh, John MacArthur says it this way, to put on the breastplate of righteousness is to live in daily, moment-by-moment obedience to our Heavenly Father. See, here's the bottom line, so I don't confuse you, because we do use a lot of different words we don't usually use, you know, here at Valley Real Life. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we're declaring that what Jesus did for us and our commitment to obeying His truth. See how it works together? So when we put this on, we are being reminded. Every time you put on that piece of armor, you are like, I am reminded once again, Jesus, I am right before God because of what you've done for me. Praise the Lord. And because of that, I'm going to live in obedience to what your word has to say in my life. And so the protection that we are given by God to armor up with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness is that we can stand with the truth of God's word in knowledge and obedience. That's what it means to put on the belt and to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, One last truth in all this. We can't do it alone. You and I need other people to help us on this journey. So here's my challenge for you as we wrap up. This week, will you partner with someone in your commitment to spending time with Jesus and his word and trying to apply it in your daily life? Every day to get up and to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to live by the truth of God's word. I'm going to know it and I'm going to apply it. Truth and righteousness. And you walk out fully armed up with the other things that we're going to be talking about in the next several weeks. Those two are the foundation. Can you wake up and get ready and get dressed for what God has for you? That way you're not walking out just being tossed by whatever social media posts, whatever teachers may say, whatever you know, other people may say, whatever your feelings may say. But there is a grounding in your life that's based on God's truth, his truth. We live in a culture that is following farther and farther and away from the truth of God's word. And for so many, it sounds so right. It's not. It will actually lead to death and destruction. We have a chance to model something else in love and in obedience. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to look at these two critical pieces of the armor of God. May we live and understand what it means to have this belt of truth, which is you and your word, and this breastplate of righteousness. 
which is our right standing before you and us obeying your word. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.